morning and welcome to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3 Community Radio, Canberra's iconic and independent radio station. For the next 30 minutes, Subject ACT will explore local community affairs from an informed and curious perspective, affairs with a global dimension. I'm Sophie Singh, your host for today's program, and it's lovely to have your company this morning. On June 17, just over a week away, there will be actions around the world supporting the elimination of nuclear weapons, including here in every capital city in Australia. Our guest this morning is Barbara O'Dwyer. Barbara is the Australian President of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and she's joining us to talk about the International Day of Action to ban the bomb, why it's happening and what it hopes to achieve. Barbara, welcome to Subject ACT. Thanks. And it's lovely to have you with us this morning. What's the significance of the June 17 date? Why has that date been chosen as the International Day of Action to eliminate nuclear weapons? Well, for the last couple of years, there have been discussions at the United Nations with the wonderful UN title of open-ended working groups on the possibility of a nuclear ban treaty, not just a treaty that um, stops the proliferation or reduces nuclear weapons, but actually bans nuclear weapons and, and would ultimately eliminate them. So those nego- or those discussions were going on until the, towards the end of last year when there was a resolution passed by over 130 countries agreeing to negotiations starting on a, on a ban, a nuclear ban treaty. Unfortunately, the Australian government wasn't one of the ones who voted for it and the ones who didn't vote, of course, are the, the obvious ones like the nuclear weapon-owning countries but all the NATO countries and the countries that are covered by the US nuclear protection umbrella. Australia could have voted for it, but it chose not to. So the negotiations started on a complete ban treaty and the first draft was actually produced a few weeks ago. From the 15th of June until the 7th of July, there will then be negotiations on strengthening and finalising that treaty and hopefully getting agreement from all, not just those countries who are involved in the negotiations, but all countries to sign up to it. So because they're starting on the 15th of June, we'll, sorry, I say we'll because Women's International League for Peace and Freedom is far much of a mouthful. We have two big projects in New York. One's, one's called Peace Women, which is basically a sort of research information sharing, wonderful website. If anyone wants to look that up, there's any amount of information on women, peace and security on that. The other one is WELP's other focus, which is disarmament and it's called Reaching Critical Will. The people who work there were very involved in the arms trade treaty negotiations and now are very involved with the nuclear ban treaty, which I should add is actually being conducted in Australia anyway, very much uh, these this Global Day of Action, very much in conjunction with ICANN, the International Campaign for the Abolition of Nuclear Weapons. We're always in partnership with them, but this is very much a partnership. So Wilpf in New York decided it would be a good idea to have a Global Day of Action. The main event will be in New York and to have an article women ban the bomb marches or rallies or vigils whatever's appropriate for wherever you are on the 15th uh, sorry on the 17th of June because that's at the beginning of to coincide with the final negotiations. Mm. So the 
impetus for the treaty originated within the UN? There are so many conferences and UN venues, you know, for discussing disarmament. A lot of it goes on in Geneva, of course, because that's where the ambassadors for disarmament are. But the nuclear ones, you know, the the nuclear non-proliferation treaty was signed Oh, you know, back in the 80s or something. And something like 180 countries have signed up to that, including Australia. So there's always been that treaty, but there's never been a treaty that completely banned nuclear weapons. And in recent times, I mean, when the Cold War ended, everything started to calm down on the on the nuclear front and it, it all seemed to be very hopeful that, that countries eventually would get rid of all their nuclear weapons. But in recent times, you know, things have hotted up again and the US is, is increasing its nuclear arsenal. The British Trident missiles are being upgraded, not downgraded. So <laughs> Scotland has to house them, which really annoys them. So instead of the nuclear situation abating, it's increased again. So there's all the more reason to have something that really stigmatises the whole idea of nuclear weapons because the world really can do without them. And this, the possibility of a nuclear total nuclear ban treaty. It's the first time, you know, in the 70 years since nuclear weapons have existed, that there was some hope that this would happen. So the first phase of the negotiations have come up with a draft treaty? Yeah, with a draft treaty, yeah, which is quite strong. It does commit countries to not just not owning, but if they are owning nuclear weapons, to get rid of them, to never ever support them in any shape or form, to not support any other country that might have them in, in their possession or potentially have them in their possession. There's still things that need to be, you know, the transiting through countries, things that, that just need tightening up, if you like. And that will be the focus for the for, for the, the next, next day. Yeah, yeah. And mm. then is it the hope that at the end of the next phase, starting on the on June 15, that there'll be something that's sufficiently complete to then... To ask countries to sign up to, and presumably those 130-odd countries that agreed to the negotiations in the first place will all sign, sign up to it, but getting the rest to didn't sign up to it, that will be the big trick. Nuclear weapons seem like such a, I mean, they are such a serious thing. It seems like an impossible task to get rid of them. But then other things like there's conventions on the banning of chemical weapons. There's There's a treaty on the banning of landmines, on cluster weapons, on biological weapons. So all of those things had to be fought for. I mean, landmines were such a pervasive form of military equipment. Now, because of that ban, I mean, there are countries who haven't signed up to that or not ratified it anyway, but because so many countries did and now have outlawed landmines, arms manufacturers on the whole don't manufacture them anymore because there's not a market for them. It's been real. It's it's, had a yeah, real, it's real had a real effect. effect. So that's the hope with if enough countries signed up to a nuclear ban treaty that eventually other countries would would see the sense of it, if you like, and join in so that if enough countries join in, then eventually, this is the hope anyway, it, yeah, and it creates the atmosphere where it's possible for it to happen. And I mean, it would, it would be wonderful if it happened. Barbara, you mentioned the Australian government is not one of the 130 countries that's um, at the table. Why mm. is that? <laughs> Their argument, and I should add, it's the current coalition government who argue against it, it's actually in the Labor Party's platform that they agree with a nuclear ban treaty. So if it had been a Labor Party in, 
<laughs> in government, we would have agreed to that to that resolution. New Zealand has signed up to it, you know. So even though they would have technically been covered by the the nuclear protection ban, they've they've had the gumption to, <laughs> to go ahead with things. So the argument that the Estonian current Estonian government uses is that that this would actually undermine the nuclear non proliferation treaty, and the nuclear non proliferation treaty has a whole lot of what they call building blocks, you know. So there's a whole lot of sort of legal processes that have to be gone through if you're going to get rid of nuclear weapons. And that's basically their argument against a ban treaty because they think it's they think it'll undermine the, the non-proliferation treaty, which most of us don't think is a, a valid argument. And the other thing, of course, and that they have actually very recent times since the first draft came out openly said that they agree with the extended nuclear deterrence position, which is you have nuclear weapons, I have nuclear weapons if we've both got so them, but it'll deter you from using them. This is the mass theory yeah, of mutually yeah, assured yeah, destruction. Yeah. You know, they've actually said publicly that they agree with that, which is pretty horrifying It's interesting, interesting that you brought that up because that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about, whether there are still proponents of that doctrine, but mm. uh, evidently there are. Mm. Well, this is what, you know, partly what this day of action in Australia is about. It's about rallies and marches in support of the elimination of nuclear weapons, but it's also trying to get the message across to the Australian government that the majority of, of people in Australia support the nuclear ban treaty and would like to see the government at least being involved in the negotiations because we thought, to, you know, even if they, they'd voted against negotiations on a ban treaty, that at least they'd go along to the negotiations and participate and there'd be maybe some hope that they might change it. They, and they've said, no, they won't be involved, but they will listen to the webcast. So they really have abstained or exempted? Well, they've more than abstained. There wasn't even going to be a vote on the resolution to go ahead with the negotiations because there were so many countries in support. But the Australian delegation to that last open-ended working group actually stood up and said I can't remember what their what their rationale was now but they wanted they wanted wording changed and that actually brought on a a vote you know so that there wasn't even going to be a vote beforehand and a lot of other countries particularly countries that were Australia's you know like-mindeds in the U in the UN didn't know Australia was going to do that caused a lot of anger and consternation amongst our friends (laughs) and then they were apparently actively trying to influence other countries not to be to vote against yeah or to or to not be involved in the negotiations so it's more than an abstention it's actual opposition to it which is even more concerning Mm. and the sad thing is that Australia has always been very involved in any disarmament discussions and negotiations. Over the years, the Australian government's always been very supportive of all forms of disarmament, especially nuclear disarmament, but but landmines. We were very active in the landmines convention. So it's not like we've been anti it over the years, quite the contrary. It's a real shame that at this one point where there was real hope, historical hope, that we'd have nuclear weapons eliminated. You mentioned that there are uh, treaties to ban chemical, biological weapons, cluster weapons, and so on. And Australia is a signatory to, yeah, to well, those. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Not just a signatory, but actively involved in, well, you know, in developing them and promoting them. The landmines one, yeah, that was initiated by Canada, but Australia was very to the forefront in that. And that was a Liberal government. That was when Alexander Downer was the minister. And um, as always, a lot of these things were actually 
pushed, advocated, initiated, if you like, by civil society. You know, the landmines, banning of landmines was very much a civil society action to start with and governments came on board, but it was very much prompted by humanitarian feelings on the on the part of civil society. Mm. What's been the position of the United States and, say, Russia, so the, the superpowers, to the treaty? They're actively increasing their of nuclear course. arsenals. The, the Americans are increasing all their military equipment and, you know, it's what their current policy is. I think you might recall that Donald Trump made the announcement that he was going to increase the military by 50,000 personnel. I mean, it's already a huge army. It's the biggest one in the world. Of the nine countries that have nuclear weapons, the US and Russia have 90% of them. So they've got something like 1,700 nuclear weapons each. How many do you need to blow up the world? (laughs) It's the US and Russia that are the two big ones. And of course, they're not going to give in to this without a great deal of pressure. But that's the thing. You need pressure from all the other countries to say that this has gone beyond the joke. We need to think rationally about this. Mm. You're listening to Subject ACT, your local current affairs program on 2XX FM 98.3 Community Radio. I'm Sophie Singh and we're speaking with Barbara O'Dwyer about the International Day of Action on June 17 in support of a treaty to ban all nuclear weapons. Before we hear more about what's planned for the day, let's play a song. And Barbara's brought in a song uh, to share with us, The Galax Bog Trotters with Kingdom Come. Barbara, please tell us a little bit about the song and the band. I must admit I've never heard of them. No, no, well, uh, not not many people would have outside of West Virginia, USA. I like all sorts of music, but my very favourite music is bluegrass music, you know, that originated in the Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia, that part of the world in the US. And I always spend the whole of Easter at the Folk Festival here in Canberra. I just love the sorts of acts you get there that you don't hear otherwise. And there's always a lot of bluegrass acts. But this one, the Galax Bogtrotters. It's a wonderful name. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. And Galax is actually this little town in, in Virginia with only a few thousand people. But it's the centre of what's known as the old fiddlers. If, if you've ever heard the fiddlers and the banjo players in bluegrass, I mean, they're just phenomenal. And the old fiddlers are just unbelievably good at fiddling you know, in all shapes and forms. So they were here, one of the international acts for the um, for the festival. These songs, some of them on their CD are orig- you know, originals that they've written themselves, but a lot of them are very traditional. And this one called Kingdom Come, which I thought was rather appropriate for talking about nuclear weapons, because <laughs> <laughs> we could be blown to Kingdom yes. Come. But it's an old gospel type hymn sung in a very old-fashioned way and and with just the one fiddle playing, and it's it's not a cheerful song, <laughs> but I just love it. <laughs> oh no, look, that's wonderful. So let's hear the Galax Bog Trotters with Kingdom Come. As I go through each day. And so often lose my way Trials and darkness sometimes block the sun Tears and sadness I see As I onward journey But I'll leave my woes behind Kingdom come Kingdom come 
battles and strife will be over all passed by bonds of suffering and chains undone loved ones waiting at the door jubilation's my reward i will join them evermore kingdom come Shadows sometimes can loom Growing harbingers of doom Hope and faith by despair overrun But I know all the while I've got reasons to smile For one day I will see kingdom come Kingdom come, toils and strife will be over all passed by. Bonds of suffering and chains be sprung. Loved ones waiting at the door, jubilation's my reward. I will join them evermore, kingdom was the Galax Bogtrotters with Kingdom Come. You're on 2XX, Subject ACT, and we're speaking with Barbara Dwyer about the June 17 Global Day of Action. Barbara, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, of which you're the Australian President, is one of the key organisers um, of the International Day of Action. The WILP... <laughs> yes, it's a terrible acronym, I'm sorry. <laughs> ...has a very long and very proud mm-hmm. history that our listeners may not be aware of, and I was hoping you could share some of that history with us. Mm. Oh, we have a very long history. We're 102 years old now. We started during the First World War. There was a meeting held in The Hague on the 28th of April 1915, which is almost exact same time as the Anzac landings. And over a thousand women met at that from all, all sorts of countries, um, both sides of the, the war. 
no one from Australia went across because it would have taken months to get there and it wasn't time to get there. And a lot of British women were prevented because they closed the, the shipping across the channel at that time and they were they were actually all ready to go. They were standing on the wharf ready to go, but they were, were not allowed. But nevertheless, there were women from all, all sorts of countries there. The whole idea was to stop what was happening in the First World War and if people had listened to them, all the tragedy of Anzac and more particularly the Western Front in France where literally tens of thousands of men died unnecessarily. None of that would have happened. But there were there were 20 resolutions came out of that first meeting, quite a few of which were then used to set up the League of Nations, you know, the basis of the League of Nations. And if you look at those 20 resolutions now except for ones where it says women should have the vote, because <laughs> we already had that in Australia anyway, but not all countries did. Most of them are still highly relevant now. The whole point of, of wealth, although, you know, the, the main objectives of wealth, well, there's several objectives, but the overall, the overarching objective is the prevention of armed conflict and violence and the resolution of any existing armed conflicts by peaceful means, not by armed means. One of the, the crucial aspects of this is more balanced peace processes, you know, peace talks, peace negotiations, peace agreements, etc., have to be more balanced. So you don't just have, if you've had a civil war, for instance, all you've got in the, the peace talks are the combatants, the rebels, the extremists, the people who've been fighting. You, know, you haven't got the voices of all the people who didn't want the fighting to happen. And that's often the women. And so women have been so, so few women have been involved in any of those peace processes at any level, you know, either at the very formal level or right down through to the to the grassroots level. Over the years, there have been so few women involved and still are, you know, when you look at the number of women who were members of peace panels and, the, you know, that negotiate peace talks. I mean, there's still like 4% or something. And so as early on then as 1915, it was the view was that, that if women were more involved in peace processes, you're much more likely to get a sensible, balanced outcome of, of talks and agreements and ultimately then long-term peace, you know, so that you don't just have fighting finished, fighting can finish, but then the situation can just go back to how it was or even worse than it was before. So you've got sort of three levels. You've got the, the prevention or resolution of conflict. You've got the participation of women, but underlying all that is the need to advance gender equality so that women actually have that opportunity to be involved. So so basically, you know, WILF is about, about achieving gender equality. <laughs> From which the other yeah, things Yeah, the, old, the other things flow. There's over 50 countries in the world with, with WILF sections, as they call called. I don't like that term because it's a bit... <laughs> Chapters. <laughs> yeah, chapters. Yeah. And some countries, you know, if it's a smallish country, or they might only have one branch. But in Australia, we've got branches in most, not most states, because we haven't got one in Western Australia or the Northern Territory. But, you know, there are still people who are members there. And in America, you know, there's various branches. The UK has various branches. And, of course, there are countries where it's quite difficult for people to be actually meeting overtly. So, that, you know, they have to be rather careful. You know, it is an international organisation. And we've got the three three particular you know in modern times three particular objectives there's the disarmament is obviously one and the participation of women those of us in WILP are so familiar with the women peace and security agenda as it's called now but that all emanated from security council resolution 1325 on women peace and security and we just we all just refer to it as 1325 (laughs) (laughs) but that was adopted in the year 2000 And that actually came about partly because, you know, peacekeeping operations used to be just 
few soldiers going out to either observe or, you know, try and keep peace. But over the years, they became much more complex operations. And Cambodia was the first of the very complex UN peacekeeping missions. And Australia headed up that mission, if you recall. And that was in 1982. And over the years, you know, they they realised if you were going to have civilians being involved in peacekeeping operations, then there had to be a whole different approach. And so eventually they were thinking gender equality or gender in, in peace building, whatever you like to call it in those days, was was something that the UN became more and more conscious of. And they held a conference in Namibia, of all places, <laughs> called Gender Mainstreaming in Multidimensional Peacekeeping Operations. <laughs> And the capital of Namibia is Vindahoek, you know, so that uh, culminated in the Vindahoek oh. Declaration. <laughs> and that was in early 2000. And then Namibia happened to be chairing the Security Council towards the end of the year at one stage. And, you know, I said, we have this Peace Women project in New York. And at that stage, Felicity Hill, who was Australian, she was the director of that project in in new york at that time and she said someone from namibia you know the namibia delegation to the security council came to see her late one afternoon and said what do you think if we had an open session of the security council where ngos could come and address the security council and the all those ngos are actually in the church's center which is opposite the un building in new york and felicity said i oh i said what and i jumped up and i ran banged on everyone's doors said come and hear this <laughs> They set up an NGO working group on it and and ultimately, you know, produced this resolution or drafted this resolution and had the open session of the Security Council on the 28th of October in 2000. And it was adopted quite sort of unanimously. So, and that, and had two main focuses. One was on the impact of armed conflict on women, but the main thing and the really crucial thing was the increased participation of women in peace processes. So, since then, there have been seven other resolutions, some that have been mainly focused on violence against, especially sexual violence in conflict, but the others have been about the participation of women in peace processes. So those eight resolutions now make up what's known as the Women, Peace and Security Agenda. So we've got the disarmament, Women, Peace and Security, and then the other more overarching, if you like, is demilitarisation, you know, the, an approach that's not... Military action isn't the first thing you should be thinking of. We're probably never, ever going to have a world where there's not ever going to be any need for some military action, but what we want is to have that as the very, very last resort. Not just to end conflict, but to prevent it. You know, if you're doing all the sort of things that produce peaceful societies and peaceful countries, then you've got less likelihood of having any sort of war, whether it's in between countries or within countries yes. in the first place. That's a huge, huge undertaking. <laughs> it's a major challenge. Yeah, it is. Barbara, you mentioned that New York is the epicentre for the June 17 actions. Elsewhere around the world what will be happening on the day? I think they said there were 15 countries where there'd be marches. So uh, obviously they're, they're happening in other parts of the US and the UK and Australia, but it'll all be the, the marches or rallies because in, in Canberra it's a, it's a rally, not a march. Um, hopefully there'll be a good turnout. And that's at 12 o'clock in Garima Place on the on the 17th of June. I keep saying March because it's a march. And then oh, I go, right. it's 17th of June. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, 
every capital city in Australia there yes, will be an yeah, action. Even, yes, from Hobart to Darwin and everywhere. Yeah, you know, it's partly because it's it's WILP, but it's ICANN as well. And also, um, I should have mentioned the other organisation, especially here in Canberra, that's very active in organising it, is MAPW, which is the Medical Association for Physicians Against War. They're, they're very much part of it as well. Mm. Barbara, thank you for coming in and, and speaking with us. It's been a real pleasure uh, talking with you this morning and uh, all the best for uh, the event on June 17th. So just to remind that Saturday week in Garima Place at 12 noon. Thank you for coming and good luck for the event. Thank you. Thank yes, you. I, I just hope it all goes well. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Sophie Singh on Subject ACT, your local current affairs program on 2XXFM 98.3 Community Radio. Join us each weekday from 8.30 to 9am for local current affairs with a global dimension. Thanks for your company and enjoy your day. And to take us out, this is Tory Forsyth with Blackbird. Gonna get my hands dirty, nothing good ever came from clean. I could swim in the clear water, but the clear just ain't for me. There have been potential buys, not one could afford a ring. So I'll patiently wait for the blackbird to sing. So I'll patiently wait for the blackbird to sing. Gonna get my hands dirty, nothing good ever came from clean I could swim in the clear water, but the clear just ain't for me There have been potential buyers, not one could afford a ring So I'll patiently wait for the blackbird to sing So I'll patiently wait for the blackbird to sing Now he could go to town with whoever he likes Knowing that he won't be making me his bride Found himself a woman and she drinks cheap wine He's gonna need something stronger to drown sorrow tonight Gonna need something stronger to drown sorrow tonight Gonna get my hands dirty, nothing good ever came from clean I could swim in the clear water, but the clear just ain't for me there have been potential buyers, not one could have 